Welcome to our discussion on the results from the recent Entrepreneurs Confidence Index research carried out by Investec Specialist Private Bank and the Entrepreneurs Organization. The results are being discussed amongst our panel members, along with prominent figures in the entrepreneurial community from a cross-section of industry sectors. Our panel is made up of Paul Wilkinson, Michael Conway, Keith Curran, Bill Lyo, James Layfield, Robin Smith and Peter Selkirk. Before we start, just to sort of set the scene, in uh, December last year, we did some research with 71 successful entrepreneurs who um, uh, have significant investments in sort of mid-market uh, companies, uh, very much like the people around this table. All of them are either clients of Investing Specialist Private Bank or members of the uh, Entrepreneurs' Organisation. Uh, we asked them a series of questions about their views on the overall sort of economic environment. I think just to kick off, I'd like to focus on the overall confidence levels that the research highlighted. I mean, my own view on, on, on the whole economy is, is that fundamentally we have a two-track economy. We have those that have it, and they've never had it so good, and those that don't have it, and they're the ones that are, are, you know, are the real problem. Um, and I think most entrepreneurs can, can find opportunities in all this for, for both those sectors. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty, pretty optimistic, certainly for my industry, that, uh, that we've, uh, we've weathered a difficult period and it's gonna, it should get better. We all have this thing in life called the change curve and we actually use it a lot in our business. And the difference between the entrepreneur and the rest of the population is that the entrepreneur goes through the change curve quicker than the rest of the population. So unfortunately at the moment what the country is still in is the denial stage. So the curve starts off with the shock and the surprise. Then you go through the denial stage. Then ultimately then you go through the anger stage because something's got to change. And the world is false. The world has been false for the last three years. So something has to change. And now the point when people then try to drive that change in, that's when the anger kicks in. But then eventually you realize that something's got to change. So then you start to negotiate. And that's the negotiate part of the curve. Then ultimately you, re you finally reach then depression. Because the net result of negotiation is that something has to give. And in this country it's not given yet. You know, we've done the oldie bit, etc. We did it for 10 minutes. And then it was right, now let's go back to the Tesco again. Because we're still in denial, because the government's not turned the interest rate dial yet. Which is the crazy part, and it's got to turn it, and it's got to turn it quick. Looking at the current sort of uh, uh, environment, I mean, how big an opportunity is it then for, for entrepreneurs at the moment in terms of launching new businesses, taking advantage of the current uh, environment? I mean, and Sally, what's your view on that? Yeah, I, I suppose I'm hearing a lot about innovation around the table and personally I've just ploughed um, just under seven million into a product out of Australia and we got a lot more for that seven million than we would have gotten a few, few years ago. That's gaining good traction in um, Asia Pack, and I think following on from your change curve, which is an adaptation of the grieving process, I agree. We were able to say that the business we had doing banking, uh, IT services into banking and finance was kind of a dead duck. Um, but we could see tr uh, traction on the, um, on the Green Track product out of Asia Pacific and we talked to customers. That's how we assess whether, whether it's something that's worth taking to market or not. So um, locally in the UK, it was really important to talk to our customers beyond what we would normally do because while Asia-Pac is gaining traction, it didn't really bump the sides in terms of a recession over there, whereas the buying behaviour of customers over here is really quite different. 
I suppose it's it's I suppose if you set your business up in the right way, um, you can take advantage of I suppose this situation. So what we've seen is lots of weaker businesses go out of business, which has meant we've actually got their customers. So we won our biggest ever contract before Christmas because one of our competitors went out of business. So to us, it's quite as long as you're doing the right things and you've got the system set up, and as you say, you're watching cash flow, um, keeping an eye on that, then you are in a position to really, really, really grow. So we're expecting to double in size this year because we're, we're, we won nine new pieces of business in the back half of last year, from all from major brands, um, because we've got a really nice proposition. It's quite unique. Um, it's, um, which means that we can get in the door when other people are trying to knock on the door with a very generic proposition. We've got something very clear to say. And, and we've been set up, we sort of kept our costs very low for, for across mm-hmm. the last year, watched our headcount, probably got everyone to work a little bit harder than they normally would. Yeah. And as a consequence, we came into this year in a really great position and have basically been winning things ever since. We've been very fortunate. I mean, demand for our products has grown and uh, the, the economic circumstances has provided opportunities for us. We've just completed on our buying our second business unit in Manchester. Uh, and um, as, 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 as James has said, I think it's creating opportunities as other weaker players fall, fall along the wayside. There's more opportunities left for, for the stronger businesses to, to grow further. And that's, that's one of the things that we're seeing very clearly. Um, only 5% of uh, the people, the entrepreneurs that we surveyed, thought that uh, access to capital would be easy during um, 2010. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of um, uh, media coverage about the, sort of the, the traditional retail banks. Are they doing enough for business people? Our research, a little bit damning, 43% who have borrowed from traditional banks over the last 12 months felt that their terms and conditions and the interest rate was unfair. Only 36% thought it w- w- was fair. All of you here very much involved in, in sort of new enterprises, uh, growing your, your businesses. How do you feel that the environment is, uh, is at the moment for raising capital to take advantage of, of the, um, the business opportunities you're, you're focused on? Keith, can I, can I ask you first? So you go through the, the three Fs. You go through your friends, you go through your family, then fools. And then after that, you've got to then start looking at the institutions and the banks. I'm, I'm firmly of the camp that, you know, need the views the UK PLC is in, in a troubled state and needs to fix itself by looking at the world as a market. And the, the piece of that that's relevant in this discussion is, is the capital flows. I mean, at the, in the big scheme of things, the, the big capital-generating nations, the investors of the future, are, are Asian and Middle Eastern. And one of the things we've got to try to figure out how to do, and I don't think we've got an answer to this yet institutionally, is how to be a good place, how to be a really good, how to generate the streams of funding which are huge and locked and sitting in China uh, to, to be able to finance the more, the smaller businesses, the entrepreneurial streams. And I think, you know, banks like Investec, others have a big role to play in trying to figure out how to do that. And in, in, competi- in world competitive terms, what the UK, what UK entrepreneurial businesses have to do is to do a better job than the Germans and French and the Americans of saying, look, this is a great place to, to put your money. Can I just uh, ask a question in relation to these sort of alternative um, sources of, of credit and, and finance? Just to read a couple of stats from our research. Um, 28% of the entrepreneurs that we interviewed uh, are looking to raise capital through private equity, 17% mezzanine uh, finance, 
17% are looking to sell equity in their business to raise capital. 11% intend to borrow from their friends and family. Are we sort of surprised by those findings? Was that always the case, even during the good times? Or is this a sort of reflection of the feeling here that, you know, the banks are, are much stricter now in terms of who they're lending to? Robin, could I, could I ask you what, what your view is on that? Um, uh, my personal believe well, I completely agree that we need to look at Asian capital and, and, and we're facing Asia all the time in terms of fair trade organisations. Um, I, I, I personally believe we need a local economy as well. I think we need local funders and local philanthropists and local entrepreneurs and local funds to get some local entrepreneurship going again. I think we need would to rebuild. You, I mean that sort of refinancing uh, package that you, you pulled together, would that have been the same route you would have taken five years ago when you know, things were great? Or, or do you think that's just a reflection of the, the sort of circumstances we find ourselves in today? I think a reflection of circumstances. Yeah. I'd rather gone larger scale and uh, looked five years, uh, yeah. not not to 12 yeah. months. Bill, what, what's your view on, on this sort of uh, growing trend to use alternative sources of finance? Were you surprised by that? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly surprised. I have to say my own views, as I've, as I've done just about every kind of capital raising, my own views have now turned 180 degrees and actually now see capital raising as probably a negative activity for most businesses, e.g. better off not raising the capital and doing it another way. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when I look at the amount of time spent and distraction created by raising capital, a lot of the time it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And even if you do raise the capital, what happens is it hides the mistakes that you're making anyway in, in, in many cases. And this is a kind of controversial view. I think that small amounts of capital for startups are really hard to find right now. And I think that's an area which is, you know, people go to their friends and family and they always have. And I think that that's not necessarily the best place to find that capital. Yeah. Um, if I'd had my way, we wouldn't have seen such massive bank bailouts. We would have seen a lot of the capital put into funds to um, start up many, many small businesses and give lots of people a go, because I think you would have far more stimulus to an economy than just uh, shoring up the balance sheets of some fairly rusty institutions, uh, present company uh, accepted. Um, when I look at... Thank you, Bill. <laughs> when I look at the wider uh, global picture, I think from the UK perspective, Raising capital within the UK, I think, should be, for UK businesses, should be done in the UK. Yes, everyone's very optimistic. Lots of sort of opportunities. Uh, key to, to take advantage of those is um, uh, raising sort of capital. But our research identified a number of other obstacles, and it'd be interesting to get your views on, on these. So the biggest obstacle, obstacles were seen as uh, client demand, um, was the biggest obstacle. 51% of uh, respondents said that was uh, the biggest challenge. The second biggest challenge was the political um, and economic sort of uncertainty. 32% of uh, entrepreneurs interviewed um, identified that as, as a, you know, a big, big challenge. Um, other areas were regulation um, uh, and also the cost and availability of um, labour, good quality sort of labour. And I just wondered what your views are on all that as you look to sort of grow your businesses or launch um, new ones what do you see as, as the sort of the biggest um, the biggest obstacle so Michael could I, can I start with you on that now, the one concern I've got the ones that you listed is the end user the consumer and it's not the consumer's desire 
to still purchase products that we all produce or services. It's their ability to pay for those products. And we got to a stage some time ago where the government had a choice to make. It either let the country die or it put it on a life support unit. And it made the choice to put us on a life support unit. And the life support unit basically is low interest rates and quantitative easing. Well, the trouble is then that triggered a word that we never used to use in the language, which is trillion rather than billion. So we've now got to a stage where even if we started to pay back the debt, if you've got a debt of a trillion and you can afford to pay back a million a second, it takes you 44,000 years to pay back a trillion. So the bottom line is it doesn't matter whether it's the next government or the one after, etc. Something pretty big has got to happen because we're still in a false world. I think, this, I think the, the election is going to be absolutely critical in terms of setting the scene for business success and entrepreneurial success going forward. I think, so I think it's a real challenge. I mean, if the government's serious about creating an entrepreneurial economy, it has to create some fiscal measures that, that, that create an appetite for risk. And if that risk pays off, then people should get rich reward. And, you know, sadly, the bankers have, uh, have not helped this situation by getting high rewards for taking lots of, lots of risks that ultimately fail. But we don't have that luxury when you're in a real business, because if you fail, you fail. Um, so I think that's a real, a real challenge to the political environment. And, and we don't really know where anybody stands on this at the moment. I think the other major issue is the one of regulation. Um, you know, the role of the EU in determining the employment regulation, which is a, it can be a real drag. You know, I mean, not that I'm against paternity leave and maternity leave and all this sort of stuff, but businesses, they are a real cost to the business. Um, so we've got all that and, uh, you know, the, we have to deal with health and safety or the, or the administration. But, I mean, not suggesting we don't have to do the All these things are about a balance in the end. 10% uh, are considering shifting their UK operations abroad to more favourable sort of environments, and 17% uh, are considering it. I mean, these are alarming statistics. I mean, these are the people that are going to help the economy get back on its feet and, and, and drive the, you know, the economy forward. Um, were we surprised by these findings, or is it hot air? The media have been sort of talking about this, and then now people are coming out of the woodwork saying, well, actually, no one, or not, not as many people actually are leaving when they look at the, sort of the changes to their lifestyle, for example. Uh, do they want to leave you know, London or Manchester where it's you know, vibrant sort of cities and, and move abroad? I mean, I feel, I feel most at home here. I really enjoy the UK, but I've still got a couple of businesses left in me. So I'm looking at it from the perspective of being a non-DOM and having my goalposts changed there as well just recently, along with the taper relief, along with everything costing me more here because even though there's deflation, it still costs me more to start up a business here than anywhere else just because of currency conversion. It's just going to make sense unless the UK can look at itself as a re-emerging economy and see that, just like the emerging uh, markets have, encourage investment. Who cares what they've earned somewhere else? Encourage them to bring it in here. Encourage them to keep it here, just like China does. The UK has obviously got great benefits, a wonderful place to live, but I think just reaffirming what I said by other people, if, if, if measures aren't taken to encourage people to stay and it is expensive and it is difficult and you don't get the benefits, then I think it's, you know, other places do become more attractive and you have to consider uh, other options. And I think the other thing to say is one of the things that I've seen very clearly is in the improvement in global communication. It's much easier now to run a business from anywhere in the world with a laptop and Skype connection. You can be talking to your people, you can see what's going on, and particularly in online businesses. Um, where you're actually based is becoming less and less, less important. So yes, I mean, I just reaffirm, I think, you know, 
yeah, London is a London, Manchester, UK, great place to live. But you know, if it becomes more and more expensive and more and more difficult to do business here, then people will eventually look at leaving. One of the things that I think the UK, um, Ireland, and and Australia too could benefit from is the greater public awareness of the power that entrepreneurs bring to the economy and the benefits that flow through. You know, if you had greater public awareness of the true benefits that having a, a, a um, bright and uh, you know active entrepreneurial society can bring, those benefits of, of, that, of that vivid and, and, and excellent society can actually be yeah. for everyone. And I, I think that's really underreported in the in the UK. Just that time is um, sort of running out. I'd just like to sort of conclude by asking you all sort of individually what would be the one or two things that you would like to see sort of change in, in the UK to, to sort of make things better for, you know, uh, entrepreneurs? So can I kind of start with you, Sally? What would... I think um, the most disturbing thing for me is that only half of entrepreneurs are innovating, where 91% of us are looking at creating jobs, yet the tax and regulatory environment isn't conducive to that and we don't have the client demand. So I think that the UK, most importantly, needs to look to emerging countries and learn from what they're doing to try and re-stimulate this economy, leveraging entrepreneurship. Um, I, I haven't spoken at all yet, but I suppose what, what the themes as, as I speak to entrepreneurs over the last few months that um, I hear as a bank is that um, we've seen innovation happen in terms of the way people are doing business with their customers. I think the challenge is now for the finance community to not financial engineer, I think that decade is gone, but to be financially innovative. So we're going to have to uh, come up with products and ideas that help finance businesses um, that, that get the risk-reward equation right. I think it's, it has been got wrong over the last few years, um, but um, are useful. And uh, the challenges out there are certainly know Investec's trying to do that. Um, some of the products we're trying to put out we think are, are new and interesting. But I think the challenge to the finance community at all is we've got to innovate as much as entrepreneurs are needing to innovate in this time. We hope you found the discussion interesting and informative. The panel will meet three times a year to bring key topical issues affecting entrepreneurs to the top of the agenda. We welcome you to tune in to hear the latest podcast, which will be available at investtechprivatebank.co.uk.